2: Fee terms apply. See mcdonalds.com.
1: Hello and welcome to the Loaf Strangers, a Swindon Town fan podcast with me, Rich Pullen.
2: Rodgers is streaking ahead and he's onside. Beautiful play! That
0: is that! What a good shot! Oh, a goal! By is foul Far post for Shearer, that goal! 4-0! Steve White! Touch to Mitchell! It's another goal! Incredible! Come
1: Hello and welcome to the Low Strangers podcast. Thanks, as always, for listening. You know, producing the Low Strangers is a little bit like Transfer Deadline Day. You spend a lot of time trying to get something over the line. Most of the time it ends in success, but sometimes you miss out on one or two. And that's what happened this week. A couple possibilities emerged, but alas, it wasn't to be. I am hell-bent on providing weekly content, so what I did is I contacted my ever-trusted local journalist, Ben Wills, to see if he could help me out, and he duly obliged. So what we've done is his My11, earlier than initially planned, he was always going to be a part of that series. And it was really interesting listening to Ben's choices of his 11 and trying to figure out what on earth is in it for fans, younger fans, who missed out on all of our significant glories. And they even missed our terrible final couple of seasons in the second tier. Ben has always been there for the podcast and I'm always grateful for his input. And it was really great talking to him about Swindon Town beyond what's happening in the here and now, and I really hope you enjoy it as well. It's time to sound the hooter for the Low Strangers podcast. Enjoy. This is much
0: unexpected. This is new. Um, I was expecting this podcast at some point, but um, obviously, for obvious reasons, this has been uh, becoming much too soon. So uh, apologies to any town fan that is very bored of my voice, but um, you're getting more of me, I, I'm afraid.
1: You are the second guest of the on the My 11 series. The first one was Vic Morgan. I'm looking forward to this, I've got to be honest. When did you decide that sports journalism was for you.
0: I was, I wish I could have like a, you know, a, a good anecdote of like I read up on uh, Woodward and Bernstein and fell in love with the art of journalism and, and that sort of that sort of field. But unfortunately, it's a lot more boring than that. You know, I was just sort of your very generic, sort of lost 15, 16-year-old who was obsessed with sport and you wanted to do something in sport. I sort of uh, was slowly coming to the realisation that Freshman Football was a, a long distant memory for me, despite my... Under tens, uh, runner-up medal in the cup, so that that wasn't going to happen. So I'd think of other options. I think I looked at coaching for a bit, and I did like a extra-curriculum PE class that someone arranged. But after like ten minutes in of like trying to teach a year 7's basketball like lesson, I I very quickly realised this wasn't going to be uh, for me. So I remember discussing with uh, you know sort of Matt Davies, who's former of the elder, now working in uh, comms. We were really discussing sort of like um, what to do because we both went to the same school. And we were both. Matt, was, Matt had already sorted out what he wanted to do, and he's, he's like, We should, you should give journalism a go. I'm like, for a site called The Washbag, which um, embarrassingly, I hadn't heard of before because I wasn't really on Twitter or anything like that at that time. So he, he recommended that I start I started writing for them. And I got, in contact with, uh, I got in contact with Ron, and he said, Oh, there's an under 18s game. Like, in a few days' time, it was Cinder vs Newport. Do you fancy writing a report for us? And I said, Yeah, why not? I uh, dug a deep down the pocket, paid the £1 ticket fee, and started writing. I did a match report for them on that game which was embarrassingly is still online i hope people don't try and check it down because it's the worst report you'll ever read but um it was the first thing that um i call it print but it was online so it's the first thing that had my name on and that was, that was sort of like the first thing that i really enjoyed was writing something and seeing someone online that had my name on and that was a uh, that was all sort of the first that was the gateway drug if you like the wash bag
1: was great wasn't it
0: it was it's a shame that i had to sort of like not be as prevalent due to ron's family commitments but that was a uh, that's a great site, and so many writers have have got a teeth um, through that site. I mean, obviously myself included. Matt Davies, I believe Andrew still Davis got his first team published on there, so it's it's been um, it's been crucial for a lot of uh, Swindon based writers.
1: I even had one article published on the Washbag, and I'll never say which one though.
0: <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have revealed what I wrote. There's, there's quite, I did quite a few things for them, but most of them were Andrew team reports because that was the only thing they trusted with. I think they had like a one for the first team already so yeah I, I got I got the youth which is <laughs> I watched a lot of my story uh, when I was a uh, when I was sort of like in my early stages of writing so in those early stages of
1: writing you didn't have the epiphany when you were younger but surely when you were sort of developing and honing in on your skills there were some influences
0: I like contacted the likes of uh, Henry winter and Rory Smith and all, all those sorts of people that were writing you know to a high level And uh, those those are the two that came back to me I, I like tweeted so many journalists asking for advice and I think those are the two that came back to me as well so I started to read a lot more of their stuff because you know there's that personal connection of like they actually bothered to um to reply so yeah I think I think a massive thanks to both Henry and Roy who gave me that, that early bit of advice for to someone who didn't have a clue what they were doing <laughs> you know like it's such a it's such a late stage really
1: so let's talk about that journey then so that journey in journalism so far because you are still very
0: very young. Uh, well, I got my degree, which is you know the probably one of the few highlights I've got at this point. Because I still am only uh, 23, so I've still got a long way to go. I hope. But, yeah, during during my you know university years, I was in 2013. I was in, shortlisted as one of the uh, top 10 young bloggers in the Football Blogging Awards. So that was that was huge for me. That's I'd only been sort of writing a few years, and that happened, so That was a, a huge shot on the arm to to keep going with this, and thought well, I've, I can you know half do it. I think since graduation, obviously, it was a total for uh, two seasons, and in doing that, and now uh, FLP and BBC, which you know is is just steps and. You know, get me more experience in the field. i have still got so much to learn.
1: Since so you've been working on Swindon for Total and the BBC and Football League paper, what have been the highlights for you?
0: I think with Total it was is it massive. That's so soon after graduating from Uni that I was in the day to day of trying to uh, you know try, trying to cover a football club, and I was a one man you know sports desk as well. So that was a lot of fun and stressful at times. And I I'd, I'd had like obscene competition from the Advan and BBC who were. So much more experienced than I was, and I was just sort of like the lone ranger, if you like, just try, trying to, you know, cut my teeth in this field. So I, I enjoyed, um, I enjoyed that aspect of it, but it was, it was difficult at times. But I, I really enjoyed that that two years of, of just being in press conferences and, um, you know, dealing with different types of manager. Because you know, during a work experience with Flick as well, that I did, you know, I got keeper who was. Quite abrasive and then at total i got williams who was lovely and then flake who was you know more abrasive again so i've definitely gone through the ringer of different managers to to you know talk to and, and players and so on so i think i think that was the main thing with total was it just getting that that first sort of window into what covering a football club is like and swindon is quite an interesting one to cover I got, I've, I've had a fair few interesting if not successful years uh, in covering swindon so far
1: what on earth do you advise somebody who wants to to go into this industry? Because it it seems quite brutal, it seems quite cutthroat, it seems very competitive, and print media it seems to be on the downfall. But what do you advise anyone that wants to move into this industry?
0: <laughs> I think you've nailed everything there. I think mean, that's generally the the theme of everything. It's uh, stuff that I need to well, it never gets any easier. But I, I can only really pass on the advice that uh, I was saying earlier that Henry Winter gave me that you know just just write as much as you can. I think phrase he used was like right until your fingers bleed I think that's a really good if if simple advice it's a really good one because you can you can learn out what your voice is and and it gives you experience of doing so many different things I remember during the 2014 World Cup so I think I was in my second year at uni I did like a match report on every single game and and that sort of thing so it gave me that experience of writing that, that sort of report and I was just trying to like fine tune it and and get it out before the whistle went and that sort of thing so I think I think the best thing you can do is is try and write as much as possibly can and you know if there's any work experience available at the, the Adver or, or anywhere else local then, then try and get involved with that and, and try and build contact as sort of any, any sort of reporter it's not who you know it's not what you know it's who you know that sort of thing so, so yeah just, just write forever and uh, try and try and get as many contacts as you can
2: It's Cashy Anderson
0: Five additional minutes Mullen It's Taylor.
1: so the first thing we need to clear up because there are plenty of people who are aware of your social media content and things like that that you are a two club man
0: yes ben why are you football embodiment of scum (laughs) is that your next question
1: yes it is (laughs)
0: <laughs> so it's a long uh, and boring story, but I'm happy to uh, chew the fat for podcast minutes. My, uh get the violins out, first of all, because my parents are divorced. That's probably the one of the main reasons. My mum uh, can't stand football and uh, I live with her. And My dad never really liked football either, but I get the sense that he would have taken me to Swindon early on. Um, so basically my only sort of experience of of football was match for Dave. So, you know, based on that sort of reasoning, I had to sort of plan for a Premier League team because... Swindon are a really difficult club to uh, to fall in love with if, if you never see games. So um, the, the only football I watched was sort of like England internationals and and, uh, and matches. So I didn't have Sky Sports either. So there's absolutely nowhere I was seeing Swindon live or anything like that. So I basically just really enjoyed watching Zola, and it just sort of flowed from there really. And I got lucky because I sort of became a Chelsea fan in the year two thousand when they were just on the cusp of like Champions League football. They weren't uh, mega rich yet. And by the time we got to like two thousand and three. I was eight years old, so that's when the real football development years came after establishing an original connection with Chelsea. So, yeah, I I got incredibly fluky that it was Zolo I fell in love with rather than, you know, a West Ham player or someone like that.
1: So, you don't have the legacy that most of us, I think, at Swindon have as a fan base where family or friends tell us how great Swindon were just before you started supporting them. So for me, my dad started going in 1968. So he has the, the Don Rogers era with all those great players. Uh, and of course, uh, I was just coming in. I, my first game was during the Aussie Dealers era, but I'm not old enough to appreciate that. Or oh, to be honest, the Glenn Hoddle one. But I saw Swindon in the Premier League. I've, I've seen Swindon in every uh, all four divisions. But you don't. You don't have that at all. You come in when Swindon... have. Also left the second tier. So, what on earth is in it for younger fans supporting Swindon?
0: I think for me in particular, it was getting to football. I mean, I, I obviously, it came much later, but. I've only been to Stamford Bridge a handful of times. My first game was at Stamford Bridge, but it, it was not by no means a regular thing due to you know, the cost of Premier League ticket prices and and um, you know getting to London. So I got, I got went to my first game in the you know, six seven season because I think Mum got free tickets from someone she knows at work. I, I swear everyone knows someone who can get free tickets to Swindon games. That's how that came about. So it was like a general like sort of ever Cup tie against Carlisle, and then I went to the Walsall game that same season as well. So and then that that's what I. I properly decided that yeah I'm a, I'm a Swindon Town fan as well now and I you know I was like checking results and that sort of thing so and then as I got older I, I had my own sort of disposable income that I could go and watch the old game and then sort of 2011 I finally got a season ticket so even even though it was only a handful of games at the, at the beginning and um, supporting that lower league club was was you know the the best way and easiest way to actually experience football because even though I am one of those evil people that supports the Premier League team um, you know I, I don't understand the the sort of fan that only what sports Premier League team and I only focus on them when they can, can never get to the ground because that's... Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure you experience football the same way if you're just watching it inside all the time. So Swindon for me was that um, opportunity for a football matter person to actually go and watch games live as opposed to just watching um, match the day as it was for me then or you know Champions League nights nice on ITV because um, I didn't get Sky Sports for a long time so so yeah Swindon was an opportunity to, to to actually experience football as it should be experienced.
1: This is not just for your childhood as well this is up to present day what have been your favourite games and your your happiest memories following Swindon?
0: I think the obvious answer to this is uh, Swindon 5, she- Sheffield United 5 I mean that was just the most bonkers game that I've, I've been to, and I fear that I will ever go to. Even the age of 23, I think I mean, that's me. Best football game ever done because I was like, you know, you don't often see a five-all draw for starters, and it to happen to have in a playoff semi-final as well is, is crazy. It's a shame that Preston ruined it, but it was, it's still a great, it's still a great day. And I remember, I remember that um, I think I had a, a university exam uh, the day after, so I, ca- I came back from got the train from Eastbourne to Swindon just, in, just in, in time for the kind I thing I got interesting like five o'clock in the evening got home walked to the ground experienced that sort of got home went to bed and went back to Eastbourne for a university exam the day before so I almost had like an incredible regret of going to that game but I don't think I ever will now and then I think I think other standard games have to be like Wigan in the FA Cup and just basically 2011-2012 in general because that's such an important season for me being, being my um first season as a season ticket holder so this
1: is a tricky one for you to answer because i don't really want you to give away who's in your squad but heroes and villains is the topic that i've said there so let's focus on the villains because i i imagine most of the heroes are in are in the squad that you've created
0: yeah I, 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 villains is difficult i, I don't think I, I i think about this for a lot when i saw the sort of uh, draft email that i would get sent for these things and i'm more i don't think i i don't think i hate anyone in in to get to this one i think I think the obvious people are like Aiden Flint or John and Beaker, but I think if you look at someone like Aiden Flint, you know, he clearly saw that you know, Bristol City were on an upward, upward trend and Swindon were not, and as much as it pains that he went to a rival, he has turned out to be right, and that sort of, so that's, uh, for him, I always, you know, think about the players are human beings that have got careers and families to look after, even though it is such an emotionally involved sport, so... um the Aiden Flint no 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 thing. I don't think it's him hating Swindon. It's more to do with jealous asking a really stupid question of like, you know, do you think did do, do you want Splendon to get promoted, which he obviously didn't because, you know, he was a British City and he wasn't gonna say that. So I don't think I hate him too much. I just sort of give him the old football grief that you would go at normal games, I remember the the free 2 where you know you try like Aiden Flint wants to score and that sort of thing. So there's that but I don't think there's any hatred beyond the beyond the ninety minutes and similar John O'Beaker Beaker that send relegated Oxford Bruin League one. Made sense for him to go there so i don't really hate that and i find the, the, the celebrating injury thing a bit crass so you know I, I don't really i don't really you know celebrate that either but
1: oxford united bristol city bristol rovers reading ginningham and a host of other clubs that dislike us for an undisclosed amount of time in your mind who are our biggest rivals
0: well, I think Oxford the biggest rivals, obviously because that history is there. But for a long time we didn't experience it, and certainly I didn't experience it. So I think gr- growing up, I think it's always Bristol Rovers and uh, Bristol City to us being in the same league um, with them for longer. As well, and that's Thompson again. Oh, a Beaker could be in here.
1: But what an entrance! That one crept over the line,
0: and that seals top spots for Swindon, no doubt.
1: We're going to go into your 11 in just a moment but there are a couple of bits and pieces that I like to discuss just before we do that first one we didn't discuss with Vic unfortunately but I've asked you to provide me your favorite home and away kit from your time support so we Swindon the first one you went with was the 2011-2012 League 2 championship winning kit uh, Samsung on the front very nice very plain three stripes textbook
0: yeah it wasn't the most classic kit but I think it was going back to what I was saying earlier like my mum finally buckled with giving me a season ticket that year and after years of asking for both the, the ticket and the kit I think she she buckled with both and went with the kit as well because I needed something to to wear sooner wise for that season so it was the first cut I owned and that's why it's so important to me so I don't think I don't think Swindell have released that many brilliant home kits uh, in recent years or certainly during my decade but that was a classic kit and it and it worked perfectly and it's obviously you now a great season as well
1: your way kit one that i certainly agree with and would definitely be on my short list uh for my 11 uh it's the 2012 13 blue and yellow bocca juniors kit with fifa 2013 on the front i remember at the time a lot of fans being upset that's oxford colors
0: i was gonna say exactly the same thing it's not yellow and blue it's blue and yellow it's fine <clears throat> like i was saying like I was saying earlier like Swindon not releasing that many good home kits I think away kit was a lot more difficult for me like uh there was this Boca Juniors kit for this for that season I chose there was a good Milan kit a few seasons back I quite like the green number from last season actually as well so I think there's been quite a few strong away kits that was a lot more a difficult choice but Swindon and Boca Juniors is a great mix and uh yeah, it's a, it's a classic kit.
1: We're now going to talk about the nearly men of your 11. the Those who came close, but they've made your subs bench. So I've asked you to provide seven subs, six outfield, one goalkeeper. You've given me a goalkeeper, two defenders, three midfielders and a centre forward. So the unlucky goalkeeper was...
0: Lawrence Viguru. Um Yeah, there's obviously been quite a debate during certainly my decade of, of two great goalkeepers. Um, some people debate that Lawrence Vigirou is better than the one I started. No process for guessing who that is. As much as I love Lawrence, he's not quite as good as the one I started.
1: Then the two defenders.
0: Uh, well, I need a backup centre-back and a backup full-back. So my backup centre-back is Gon Greer, a great leader, around for important uh, moments, but is not quite the um, the level of one defensive man centre-back that I've got, and he's not the... Uh, the style of the other centre-back I've chosen that I think is going to be important to my, uh, to my 11. And then the second defender? my uh, backup full is James McEverley. I think he was just a decent sort of regular starting full-back. Not extravagant um, going forwards but he was just useful. And again, he was part of two successful sides. So, an important cog in seasons that were actually good during my uh during my decade which uh a few and far between of course
1: and then you have three midfielders
0: i've got two backup wingers in the shape of danny ward and jp mcgovern jp mcgovern was more a personal one due to him being my sort of my first favorite sitting player i think during the uh when i started going fairly regularly in like 2008 um i think that, that that's more personal but i i really enjoyed sort of his his ability to uh to provide assist and the odd goal i think he scored quite a few times every time i went, I went live so i had a that had a few um that, that had a big impact in me, in me liking him quite a bit. And I remember a game against Notts County when we got relegated, that he provided like a bicycle kick assist for a Matt Ritchie goal. So that's uh, quite impressive. You never really see that in, in League One. Uh, he was important for me. And uh, Danny Ward was the other one because, again, decent winger. You know, he wasn't here, it he wasn't swimming for long, but made a massive impact when he was. Scored one iconic goal, of course.
1: And you have one midfielder left?
0: Yeah, it's uh, Kassim i probably have him in my styles if, if he was on form Yasser Kassim all the time. He's probably one of the best players I've ever seen. Swindon, given his technical ability and, and that sort of thing, but he was far too inconsistent. And uh, you know, some people accuse him of not being committed to the swindling course of the whole thing. So, yes, I guess the team on a good day will start easily, but um, I'll have him on the bench because, probably because I can't trust him all the time. And your
1: final place
0: on the bench is for a centre forward. And it's uh, James Collins again. It's a shame I think we only got um, one season out of him. I think he's a really good League One, League Two striker, he's always been for his career at Shrewsbury, Swindon, Luton. Etc. It was a massive shame. I think we sold him after only one season for, to Hibs for I think it was a couple of hundred grand. I think we sold him far too soon, but you know, once a, a bigger club can call him with a bigger wage budget, then Spindling can only sort of say yes, which is a shame. But, but yeah, no, one player that I really wish he kept, to be honest. And he also, you know, put in the, the best individual performance I've ever seen with that four goal and one assist haul against Portsmouth after coming on get, as a sub. So so yeah, James Collins because I know I can rely on him as a good striker. But he would have started if we got more of him in the Swindon shirt, I think. And were there any others that came close? No, I don't think so. I think the bench was quite easy to do. The eleven was. Uh, I had a few problems of who to pick in the eleven. Some, some almost got in there. The likes of Kasim and Collins or, uh, would have had a chance if he started more. But, but yeah, it was quite easy to do. Obviously, I've had a, uh, I've had limited good seasons as a Swindon fan and. Uh, so I've only got a few select seasons to choose from. Come on, boys! It's a grand old team to play for, and it's a grand old team to see.
1: The time we've all been waiting for. So you're 11. The best bit. I always love hearing people's 11s because they are so varying depending on how long you have supported them. With Vic, we had some bona fide legends. With your list over the 10 years, we've got some great players, and it's a, it's a reminder of the potential Swindon had over the last decade and didn't quite didn't quite get there but what formation have you gone with
0: yeah before i got onto that I, re- I really hate uh following Vicky morgan because he had so many great years of, of swindon he's got he's got genuine club legends to choose from and i've got a decade of some good seasons, <laughs> so uh so yeah, my uh, millennial eleven is uh, very different to Morgan's established uh, eleven. But yeah, anyway, I've, I've relatively gone for a four four two. I would have liked to, you know, reflect something uh, my history, ideology of a three five two or a four three three. I had to shoot on one important player in really, so I can do a three five two with a uh, with with one player in particular. So I had to uh, I had, to sh- I had to get everyone involved in in proper positions with a nice uh, simple classic four four two.
1: Okay, so number one. Played for Swindon between 2011 and 2015. He played 191 times in all competitions. He was a League Two champion. He was in the League One Team of the Year in 2013. He was in the two playoff campaigns that ended in glorious failure, and he was also a part of that Johnson's Paint Trophy run. It's Wes Fodringham.
0: Yeah, probably one of the easiest decisions I've had to make in this list. I just had Vigoro, the some people think he's just about edges it, but uh, not for me. Wes Fodringham was the undisputed number one, and obviously some people put him in the same conversation as Digby, which I didn't see Digby live, but I probably... Wouldn't do that due to him playing Premier League, but West Fodringham was a, a very easy choice for goalkeeper, being such an important cog in that 2011-2012 season. I think he really changed that season actually, because we had problems with goalkeepers for for basically half a season. Um, you know, Phil Smith died, and then wanted to kind of signings Lanzano with him for a bit, and then Phil Smith was back after Lanzano failed, and we signed West Fodringham on loan from Crystal Palace, and I think. I know I was quite skeptical because his only learn out have been at like non-league clubs and think is this really the, the goalkeeper we need to sort our problems out and uh, everyone was very quickly proven wrong myself included when uh, he got a clean sheet on his debut at Appleton and uh, Swindon never looked back uh, that season all beyond really d- during uh, what's his time at the club
1: I completely agree reference the feeling and the mood when he signed because when he signed he just seemed like Another signing. Nobody knew Wes Fodderingham before he arrived, and I think that's what added to just how great he was, and really was quite a loyal servant as well.
0: Yeah, I, I, the only thing I sort of said was in a disappointment, says I, I wish we saw more of the um, the super keeper because De Canio, it's, as much as De Canio used him for his good distribution, I, I, don't, he wasn't, I don't, he don't think he used him for that as much as Cooper did. So we, we got a good few seasons of, of Cooper doing that with Wes but um, we we could have got a lot more of the um, superkeeper extraordinaire but um, but yeah Wes is definitely a loyal servant and um, basically an undisputed number one for his entire um, time at the club
1: number two the captain of the league two championship winning side a member of the league two team of the year is Paul Caddis
0: yeah, vital in again during the uh, 2011-2012 season and although, you know, he's re- he was relegated with the club I think it was quite obvious that he was one of the players that's going to need to keep hold of if they were to go forward following relegation so uh, he was an important member for that and uh, sadly it all went a bit sour with Di towards the end but, you know, quite an easy choice to right back. I had some sort of uh toing and throwing with right back but my, uh, my back at right back does get into this team but he's a slightly out position but he can play right put in. But um, but, yeah caddis was uh was quite an easy choice yeah nathan
1: thompson is the biggest winner from the fallout with decanio but i think caddis's exit it from that era is really it's only matt ritchie's that really it was a bigger loss during that horrible fallout in 2013
0: yeah obviously the worst thing about it is that Swindon are used to losing good players with either their contract running out or a big club coming to buy them and that wasn't strictly the case of Callis, it was just him falling out of a manager that a lot of people liked as well. So it was disappointing that a well liked manager and a well liked captain had a falling out, so no one could really pick a side of what they wanted. But, um, but yeah, losing Callis to such sad circumstances was, was a letdown after most people would have just expected a, a bigger club to buy him. But um, eventually they, they obviously did, but it was avoidable circumstances that led like, to so Callis's uh, untimely departure.
1: Number three played for Swindon between. 2013 and 2015 making 107 appearances scoring 11 goals he was in the league one team of the year in 2015 he was a part of those two playoff campaigns it's Nathan Byrne
0: yeah this could easily be my right back but Callis just about edged it but Nathan Byrne was a left back for us, for a last period and there's often a debate between him and McEverly, which I was a uh, team burn then and team burn uh obviously during the team's recovery only makes the bench but yeah but i think burn really flourished as a the right wing back in, in keepers formation but i think he was a, a perfectly good left back during uh, the early years of uh, ison and it's time obviously yeah uh, scores would have an important goal um, away at Sheffield united was crucial in that uh playoff run his stock
1: increased dramatically didn't it, 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 it... People weren't quite sure on on Burn what, what his favoured position, what his best position was. But then suddenly he became one of our most crucial players.
0: Yeah, I just said he really first as that right wing back and uh, keeper moved him to right wing during the following season. I was, I was looking, I think Burn was given the number seven, uh, number ten shirt. So it was quite uh, quite funny to see him like uh, such a uh, forward thinking number. But also is. It was, it was, a clear sign that keeper was moving him forwards, and then Byrne got a hat trick against Bradford in on that first game. Him being a right winger, and there was quickly sold to uh, Wigan. Uh, sorry, Wolves, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so one of those two. So, yeah, I, I wish he saw more of uh, Byrne, the right, the offensive right winger, rather than just a, a wing back. But you know, obviously, Chelsea club snooped him pretty quickly once they realised what a, a talent he could be at right wing.
1: Number four played for Swindon between 2011 and 2013, playing 98 times, scoring twice. Including a memorable goal at Northampton, he was a League Two champion. He was the Swindon Town Player of the Season in that title-winning campaign. He played in the playoff loss at Brentford. It's Alan McCormack.
0: Yeah, I think you've you sort of nailed my uh, original point there. Is with McCormack, is that he won Player of the Year in that 2011-2012 campaign when Matt Ritchie's in the team and Paul Caldicott in the team and West Fodringham So to, to win Player of the Year in, in that sort of calibre of team when Matt Ritchie won League Two player of the year I think says more about McCormack than I ever could so I think it was again it was a, a weird one where he came in as a midfielder and Dequanio signed a lot of midfielders and you think well is McCormack going to fit in here when he's made Ritchie captain and and Ferry's already here and that sort of thing and then obviously McCormack gets turned into a centre-back and he plays right back a few times as well when Caddis isn't available so McCormack was an incredibly versatile player and uh, he didn't look out of plays at centre-back at all so that that was testament to him really and and to Kenya as a manager, so yeah, McCormack was uh, an incredibly important versatile player that did very well to win Player of the Year award amongst uh, for some very strong candidates that, that season. I wonder
1: if uh, Jed McCrory's offer for McCormack to come back as a coach one day still technically stands.
0: I hope so. <laughs> we'll, we'll see. But um, it's a shame that McCormack let, was part of, part of that massive selection of players that had to leave uh, due to Swindon having a transformation of budget and that sort of thing, because he could have been Again, a loyal seven because, like, like I said with Collins earlier, he's a very good. He's always been a very good League One talent that Swindon would, would happily have now. So, um, so, yeah, he could be one that you know become a real club um, stalwart if it wasn't for you know obvious and needed budget budget changes.
1: Number five played for Swindon over two spells between 2014-2015, and 2015, making 52 appearances, scoring the one goal. He played in the 2015 playoff final against Preston jack
0: stevens this is this is my uh hipster ideology coming into things i think jack stevens was very much a center back i like he was good on the ball controlling the ball and he'd often make long jinking runs and center back into into midfield and in the forward areas as well i remember i think bristol city away he, he runs from like his own half and has a shot which is, which is just, just sort of um you know and bauer style center back i'd love to see i think dion conroy should have maybe transformed into stevens more a bit more but it was clear for to me and Many others that Stevens was a centre-back that was going to go a long way in the game, and he's now sort of a, a Premier League semi-regular Southampton, which is a, it's testament to him.
1: I think a lot of people listening might go, a lone player in, in your all-time 11, but I think that's just nature of modern times, no?
0: There's a more controversial one later as well, so... Um... Jack Stevens is the, the easier loan player to go for, but yeah, Swindon. Are, Swindon is semi reliant on loans, and but some of our best players are loan, so um, I can I can not leave Jack Stevens out purely because he's a alone alone-y. But um, yeah, that is a uh, modern football for you, I guess.
1: Number six, your most experienced Swindon Town player on the list, playing between 2009 and 2013, 175 appearances, nine goals, a League Two champion. Played in the playoff campaign of twenty thirteen,
0: is Simon Ferry. It's friend of the pod, Simon Ferry. Uh, in your in your eyes, so um, so yeah, Simon was obviously a crucial part of two successful seasons again, which uh, is again like I said is is rare for a player. So it's hard to not include a pearl like that. And obviously, he was a you know very important in in playoff campaigns and winning the league. So Simon Ferry was a very easy choice, and I think. I want, I want my, t- my 11 to work and I think Ferry's going to do all the running for me while my, uh, my other centre mid is going to be uh, the deep-lying playmaker that, that can um, set things up and Simon Ferry can uh, do all the running that can let my other centre mid do whatever the hell he wants in the field. It says a lot about his character that Decaño sort of wrote him off and Simon Ferry had to lose a bit of weight to uh, to get into the team but that's a, that's a sort of you know commitment he showed to the club to, to make an impact on Decaño who he knew he was going to enjoy Um as you said on this podcast he knew that he was going to enjoy uh, working with Decaño So. He he did all he could to, to force himself into that, and he was very much like that on the pitch. He would always sort of run after every sort of ball, um, even though he was, uh, you know, sort of seen as the little fat lad from Scotland. He uh, he actually did do a lot of running for the club, uh, which probably knocked him out somewhat. But he was a uh, very useful for um, three successful campaigns, to sadly uns- unsuccessful, unsuccessful playoffs, and one league title win. And he had a
1: personality as well.
0: Yeah, it's always nice to have that sort of player you can hang your hat on, and who is fun on Twitter rather than just uh, we go again.
1: Now Richie finds Ferry, beaten away by Colgan. Oh, it's loose. It's Ferry again. And that has surely sealed Swindon's place
0: in round two.
1: Number seven, played for Swindon between 2010 and 2013. Uh, 129 appearances, 27 goals, League 2 champion, uh, player of the season during that relegation year in 2011. He was in the League 2 team of the year and was the League 2 player of the year. The following season, he made the League 1 team of the year and was League 1 player of the season. That with an asterisk because... It's Matt Ritchie.
0: Yeah, the, the easiest choice of uh, getting a player into a team, because I think he's probably the best player that I've had during my um, during my time in the club, but he made this a bit difficult because uh, I wanted to go wingerless, really, but I couldn't, I couldn't not, uh, leave Ritchie out. Cause it would have been just impossible. I would have got laughed at. So, um, yeah, Ritchie... Literally dictates his whole team setup because he's he's that an important player and obviously he was he was massive and Swinder lost him far too soon. But the less said about that, the better.
1: We're gonna to have to talk more about Richie because he is the most, he is the best player from this in this side probably. It was a transformation though from from the early Matt Ritchie to the one that left for Bournemouth.
0: Yeah, I think this was, was one that um, I think Decano doesn't get as much credit for as he probably should get. I think I remember during the relegation year and and you know his is. Previous time in the club, he was more of a left winger and was useful as is that sort of player. But he was more getting crossed into the box rather than scoring. And De Canio transformed him into that right winger that would often cut inside and and shoot. And I think he was um, joint top goal scorer of Alan Connell that season as well. So he really transformed winger, uh, Richie into the, the the type of winger he is now that we've seen at Bournemouth and Newcastle. So uh, Richie might, could have just been even the even the talented one. could have just been another sort of like lower lower league journeyman if he's still on the left and. Was, it would be decent at every club he was at, but wasn't um, quite to the level that he was at Swindon and has been later in his career. So I think Di Canio played a massive impact in his development, um, trying to transform him to the right wing He was he was uh, he was massive for every single success going forward. Really, during during his time in the club, Swindon would probably go up if if Matt Ritchie and Di Canio both both stayed at the club, but. <clears throat> Kisra, I, I found it quite funny the other day. I was watching uh, Match of the Day, and he, was, he scored against Bournemouth. He's saying that he regretted celebrating because Bournemouth meant so much to him. But we both know that he never wanted to be there. You might like Bournemouth now, Richie, but you didn't at the beginning.
1: Number eight played for Swindon between 2013 and 2015, playing 102 times, scoring 14 goals. He was in those two. Playoff campaigns that ended at Brentford and at Wembley against Preston. He was in the League One Team of the Year in 2015. And also during his time at Swindon, he was in the Asian Cup, which he won and was the most valuable player. It's Massimo Luongo.
0: Yeah, I, lo- I love Massimo. It's probably, if not maybe the best player that Swindon have had during my decade. Certainly the, my favourite of just the, the... I love watching him play. And I think it was, it was massive for for Luongo during that Asian Cup where I think it... It was, as much as some people may look at that Asian Cup cynically and say that oh that ruined 2014-15 and derailed it and maybe Luonga and Kasim didn't have that um, connection to the club after as I remember uh, well. I, I look back on that Asian Cup fondly and being at university and being up at like 8 o'clock in the morning watching dodgy streams of Australian and, and Iraq games um, Australia in particular because Luonga got further and was that much better in the tournament. Um, so yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed that sort of you know pride in even though he wasn't, he wasn't do- doing it for Swindon. He was doing it in the name of Swindon, and Swindon was sort of being put on the world map, as it were, as, as Luongo shined in that Asian tournament. And during the World Cup of, of 2014, where although again he didn't get any minutes, he was you know every time a commentator would make a you know pass in Australia, much they would said, like oh Massimo Luongo is currently playing with Swindon Town in the third tier, and you'd have that sort of that sort of pride in that. So. I enjoyed Luongo, the player on the pitch. I enjoyed that his international exploits that really that put Sven on the map and, and that sort of thing. And I also like look back fondly on, you know, when he first arrived during that first playoff campaign in the sort of McDonald's section where him and Parrot, I think, and all arrived at the same time, and we were looking forward to maybe push on for the playoffs with these three Tottenham youngsters. And I think Parrot shone in the first couple of games, and Luongo took a bit longer, but Luongo... sort of. Really established himself later on as that player that Swindon could rely on and and be a key figure in Swindon going forward, um on the pitch. So yeah, I think Longo is definitely my favourite player of, of that of my uh, decade so far. And it's a shame. I always thought that he'd be get, maybe get a better move than QPR. I think during that playoff year he had all, all sorts of interest from like teams in Saudi Arabia to Sevilla and, and Premier League teams. But um, it's a shame that he ended up a QPR. I would have quite liked to see a move from swimming to Sevilla that would have been quite unique. Yeah, Luongo is always a fine talent that I enjoyed watching. Has
1: a player ever left quicker than, than Mass after the uh, the playoff final?
0: Yeah, I, I think, obviously, you know, things are probably pre-agreed, which people, people won't like, but that's, that's the top of the way it is. I think a player like Mass who had been to World Cups and was shot in an Asian tournament, was so not going to stay in League One for any longer. So, as much as it's maybe less just t- sour taste in the mouth... I think I don't really blame him for it, and like I said, I don't, I don't hate anyone um, in football. I, I see the I see the people move on for their career rather than anything else. So it's an understandable decision, if uh, if not a nice one. Number nine.
1: Played for Swindon between 2007 and 2009. He scored 48 goals in 88 appearances for Swindon. He was the player of the season for Swindon in 2009, and he was the League One top scorer, which he shared with Ricky Lambert with 29 goals in 2009. It's Simon Cox.
0: I would have liked to have got Sam Park in my front two, but the small print in this, uh, you know, contract <laughs> that I don't sign with the Low Rangers is that. I've got to talk about players that I've seen live, as opposed to ones that I've just been around since I've been alive. So, uh, I think Cox is the first striker really that was, you know, a, a key figure for Swindon while, while seeing them live, and obviously, uh, you know, he got that shared golden boot, which is nice because uh, I remember, see, as I said earlier, the Bristol Rovers game where he scored a brace to keep us up, and Ricky Lambert didn't score in that game, so that was a, a massive game that was, was important for Swindon and uh, for, for Cox getting the golden boot. So, um, so yeah, he was, he was a he was a massive, uh, you know, useful in that season, and uh, he's he's been quite pivotal in that legacy for me. Being any, any moment does a transfer from like Reading's to we can look back at Simon Cox, and some players do come from rivals that we don't necessarily like.
1: Yeah, I, I always expected Simon to kick on more than he did. So he enjoyed a few seasons in the Premier League, but his. I don't know fitness or whatever but he really has established himself as a league one player but I, I I think I'm not sure if the West Brom move was the right one but but still I mean he had one game against Tottenham I remember and he was remarkably good that day
0: yeah he scored one Premier League goal as a 25 yard batter in that Tottenham game as you said so yeah it was a I think maybe West Brom came a bit soon. Maybe it was too big a jump at the time because went to when they were like going for promotion in the championship. But yeah, I think I think suddenly rejected the move from for someone else and West Brom came along and he's never going to turn that down. So so yeah, it's a shame that Cox only became that sort of you know re- uh, regular League One scorer that he has turned out to be at Southend and, and clubs like that. But you know it was it was crucial for is type of Swindon which is the best thing we can point towards he just never
1: seemed to score one goal it just felt like at one stage he was only ever scoring braces and hat-tricks it was much needed given where we were in the league
0: obviously I had the eye for the, the uh, spectacular uh, obviously during that uh, Warsaw goal and the uh, Fenerbahce one which is sadly the pre-season friendly but still uh, a player that scored against Fenerbahce is rare for Swindon as well so Simon Cox can always have that
1: number 10 played for Swindon between 2009 and 2011 scoring 37 goals and only 65 appearances for Swindon. It's Charlie Austin.
0: Yeah, again, a really easy decision. Um, along with Richie, that I couldn't leave this one out without getting widely mocked or, or anything like that. So Charlie Austin was such a brilliant striker. for Swindon during his time, and I think one of the few players that you could say that he was primarily quality. The second you saw him, you know, you knew immediately that he was going to go far in the game, and and so so it's proved. I mean, he's always had quite enjoyable times at Southampton and Burnley, so he's obviously been quite a useful Premier League striker during his time and Swindon was, was, was massive for him in, in developing that and he's always like sort of been the poster boy of Swindon can produce um, brilliant talents even if we do nick him from Paul. But we really turned Charlie Austin into what he was and and he's been sort of flying the flag for Swindon for, for a long time and obviously, you know, just an uh, you know incredible incredible player during his during his time in Wiltshire
1: Austin doesn't leave in that window we stay up, he leaves in the summer, Wilson goes in the summer, Ducaneu comes in at League One level, we're in the Championship established already. Yeah,
0: I know, it's, a, it's a, always a shame again, but, uh, you know, he, he, had that, he had a dodgy shoulder during, during, uh, during that season as well, which um, is is sad, but we got the best of him. I remember watching the uh, the Cheltenham game um, away when, you know, he's, he's, I think he's got a brace and you, you knew he was going then, um, but we had, we, it was nice we had that one last moment and we had sort of, at least, if the the Millwall bobble incident is is long lasting, at least we we sort of got you know a nice moment to to leave him on. Rather than if he went that summer during the during not going up, we would have had that that last one would have been you know that that miss would have, been, would have been horrible. So at least we got another six months of, you know Charlie Austin to enjoy rather than rather than a sour to end. That's the only sort of positive thing I can say about the timing of his departure.
1: Number eleven, play for Swindon between 2013 and 2014 scoring eight times in 44 appearances for Swindon in all competitions Alex Pritchard
0: yeah I'm not sure this would be on the list of many people's uh, all time Swindon 11 but when when you've got limited uh, years as mine and uh, and that sort of thing I, think I wanted to uh, I needed a left winger as well which is difficult and um, so I think Pritchard was great for his season Swindon didn't achieve anything either which is a shame they only finished eighth in league one but again similar to the role of Austin really that I I knew that he'd be going quite far in the game you know as soon as he arrived I'm not sure who convinced him to jump down to League One because he was at Peterborough in the championship before and somehow due to the Tottenham connection somehow his agent or Sherwood or someone convinced him that Swindon would be a good move for him I think he probably could have benefited from another year in the championship but it it was great during that season that we had a player that could transform a game at any moment really and was always you know deadly from free kicks so that was um that he was. I do think he was a great player, one of probably the, the best left winger we've had during my time here. Given Richie's move to the right, so yeah, I think Pritchard was, uh, you know, a great talent that, we, that I enjoyed certainly. But I'm, I'm convinced that not many people would uh, would have him anywhere near all-time 11s. But uh, such is the uh, curse of the millennial.
1: <laughs> I think this squad is doing okay in the season.
0: Yeah, I think this is a. I think this is a good mid-table championship team, which is which is uh, interesting for me, given that I've never seen a. Never seen a championship Swindon uh, Town team. So uh, for someone who's uh, only ever seen League One and League Two, I'm I'm quite happy with my eleven. It's the best I've best I've managed to uh, come up with. So the man
1: you have got in the dugout to look after them, uh, I wonder who this could be. Uh, manager between 2011 and 2013, the League Two Championship manager is Paolo de
0: yeah, I, I really wanted to put Mark Cooper as this. <laughs> because uh, you know, he he's what I wanted he, Mark Cooper was what I wanted my Swindon time to be, the you know, the three five two possession of football. Um, I really enjoy it. I look I look back at 2014-15 with more enjoyment of what's in the were than twenty eleven twelve, even though you know, twenty eleven twelve and twenty thirteen were more successful, um, arguably, but yeah, I couldn't have the as manager given that, you know, he, he got one promotion, took us to a Wembley final got us to the forefront of the FA Cup, beat Stoke away in the League Cup, play semi... Well, he was on his way to to taking the club to the championship and, you know, other influences got in the way that, you know, denied us that, but I couldn't, I couldn't not have the of given, you know, basically an, an untouchable 18 months in terms of success. So just other things got in the way of him getting more success at the club and, you know, his only blemishes his only was sort of how he dealt with players personally rather than, you know, um, results on the pitch.
1: Are there any players from who are playing for Swindon at the moment who could, who are wooing Ben Wills at the moment and and may make your
0: shortlist in the future? I'm not sure of players. I think obviously I've got the girl on the bench, but I don't think uh, he will just about um, edge up. Fodringham on more than happy people be proven wrong for Sun's extension and Richie Wellens uh, takes us to the championship. That that all. That will uh, get the place placed in the eleven, I think. But speaking of Wellens, I think I generally like to include him as manager if he did this again in ten years' time. Um, he, he's like in the in the mould of keeper. What I want him to, do. he's um, doing what I want a spinner manager to be doing in terms of playing style, and he has started off well, if not, you know, exceptionally, to get us into the promotion reckoning. But I think Wellens may be uh, in the conversation in in five years' time if he gets a promotion or two. Ben, that was fantastic. Thank you very much.
1: Below Strangers is an independent Swindon Town fan podcast. The music was expertly created by Matthew Kilford and the podcast artwork is by the super talented John
2: Daglish. Thanks for listening. Hello, Swindon. Hi Ellis Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy,